So I was presented with this this week. This is uh, the Wednesday Children's uh, Midweek Disciple Group. They, they made this. This is a chain, and it's... So Jane gave me this on, on Thursday. She said it's Pastor Appreciation Month, which I didn't realize. Not that I don't feel appreciated, but I had no idea such a thing even existed. She said, uh, I'm, these, all these chains say, I'm thankful for my pastor because... And presented this to, uh, to the pastors of the church... And we read it together, and it was wonderful. It says, um, you know, I, I'm thankful for my pastor because they are nice, and they teach us about God. It says, um, one of them, it says, he is Fanny, F-A-N-Y, Fanny, which I think is like a kind of a southern way to say funny. Um, and we were reading through it, and, and uh, Pastor Brian said, what's this one? It says, I, um, I'm thankful for my pastor because he opens my pool. I said... That's my mom. She's been, help- she's been helping out on Wednesdays, and I'm, I'm like the pool guy. I open and close the pool, and, uh, and I'm, you know, she is thankful for that. So it was just really sweet. I felt encouraged by this and appreciated. Words have power to encourage and to uh, comfort us. Words have the power to hurt. Words are powerful. I think we would all agree that that is true. And today we're going to consider our words of worship. What are the words that we use to pray? And what are the words that we use to when we worship together, when we're gathered? And this week we're going to explore how those words of our worship actually shape us. They, they form us. They help us to have a language that as we go out into the world that we can speak in the world. Jesus taught that it's what is in your heart is going to come out through your speech. Uh, Luke 6.45 says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the outflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So our hearts shape our words. But conversely is also true and biblical that the words that we speak are also shaping our heart. Uh, Colossians 3 says that we need to get rid of certain types of speech, like filthy language and slander and lies and anger, since we are being renewed to be more like Jesus. So part of that renewal happens as we speak words. Again, the passage we looked at last week, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts toward God. It's as we teach and as we admonish and as we sing these songs that something is changing in us, that we are being transformed. And that's why words, the words that we use are important and because those words are changing us from the inside and then they come out. So as we worship together, this essentially what I'm saying is as we worship together that we are learning a new way of speaking, we're learning a new language that gives us a bigger sense of who God is, of God's holiness as we sung today, and, and how God is involved in the, all of our everyday lives. So we have a new language to take with us as we scatter, and that language will help us to respond to the, to the world around us. For example, in a, in a world where grumbling is common, we are learning a response to look at any situation and find blessings and give, uh, give words of gratitude and thanks to God for those things. 
in a world of uh, suffering where people react to suffering through despair, hopelessness, we are learning language of lament that's rooted in hope. That we, we aren't people who don't sorrow. We have sorrow, but we don't sorrow as people without hope. There's, there's a deep hope and optimism that we have because of the Lord's work and the completion of his work. In a world that fears strangers, we, when we worship, we greet one another in the name of Jesus, and in doing so, we remember that everyone here is our brother and our sister, and we take that with us. So even when we meet and greet one another, that's not just so, you know, so that the kids can be dismissed to go to Sunday school, and then we can have kind of an interlude so we can get on with the service. That's part of our worship. We greet each other in the name of Christ. And you know, Fernando sometimes jokes, you know, greet the beautiful people around you. But it's not that we're all beautiful. It's that it's beautiful that we're all different and we're united in Christ. And we extend a hand and we extend a word of, of greeting and welcome to one another. See, this, is, this we then take into a very divided world, that way of welcoming and greeting. All these things we do help us to see the world differently, help us to speak differently, and really pray in line with God's heart. So it's not surprise. We shouldn't be surprised if God encourages us to be very careful with our words and the words that we use in our everyday. And that's our focus today. We're going to look at this passage from the book of James. James focuses a lot of his letter to the churches on words and how we use words and the power of words. And so I want to look at three things that he teaches us about our words of worship from this passage. Let's pray as we do so. So, Father, as we have gathered in your name, as we seek to worship you with our hearts and our words, we pray that it would be, that this is all pleasing to you. And we just pray, Lord, we thank you that you are here, that you are active, that your spirit is at work. And we just, we just submit and surrender to the work of your spirit and pray that you would teach us now. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing that James teaches us is that words of worship are for all seasons, for all seasons of life. Our worship, when we gather here, it includes, some of you are very happy to be here, some of you are in trouble, or you might be sick, and James, as he writes this letter, he's encouraging the congregations to bring all those situations before God, not just because God hears it and and that God responds, but they're they're learning a new way of responding to the world. Look at verse 13. He says, is anyone, that first verse here, if if anyone among you, is anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord is three situations there and three different responses. The first, if you're in trouble, your response to trouble is to pray to God. Are you happy? Your response to God is to sing a song, sing praise, give glory to God. If your situation is that you're sick, the response is to call on other people to pray for you and pray with you. And that the words that we sing and the words that we pray and speak to one another on Sunday as we sing and as we pray. We do these things on Sunday. This gives us a vocabulary. It gives us a 
a vocabulary to speak to God. It gives us a vocabulary to speak to other people in all the different circumstances of your life, Monday through Saturday. It's not just words we use here at church. The words we use here when we gather are informing how we speak when we scatter. For example, when something goes really well at work, you could just take credit for it. You've done something good. You've accomplished something. Or we can use our language of gratitude to thank God. When you watch the news and you're saddened by something that you've seen in the news, and you don't have to watch very long to see something that is tragic or sad, you don't have to despair. You can then turn your words to God and pray for mercy in that situation. When you, when you face a situation in life and family, at work, where you feel powerless, uh, you don't have to, you, you could just give up. Okay, I feel powerless, I give up. Or we can pray for a filling of God's Holy Spirit in such a way to, to give us the power to persevere and to endure in any situation. So the way that we respond makes all the difference. The way that we speak to God and speak to others. Now, this is a little bit tangential, but I have to address it. Uh, in verse 15, see, I would skip these things, and then afterwards you tell me, why did you skip these things? So, verse 15, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. The prayer of faith makes a sick person well. Faith healing can have a bad reputation at times. Uh, there's been certainly misuses and abuses of this kind of a teaching. Uh, people have been told, you know, you weren't healed because you didn't have enough faith, or a loved one has died because you, you know, because of their sin or because of your sin. And those are uh, not good. These are misuses of this teaching. And there is, I mean, there is a connection in this passage between the sin and the sickness. The sick person will be forgiven of sin. And that is very possible that there is a connection between sin and a sickness. But it's, it's not necessary that there's some kind of one-for-one one, somebody's sin has led to a specific, a specific sin has led to a specific illness. Uh, but we do believe that God heals people today. We believe it with all of our hearts. We've seen it way too many times. People cured miraculously of terrible diseases. And Jesus healed people. He taught his disciples to heal in his name. Uh, in the book of Acts, you know, this continues of followers of Jesus healing in his name. The gift of healing is taught on later in the New Testament. And we've seen it too many times. But we also know that some are not healed. And the people who got this letter, who James wrote to, they all died. 100% dead. All of them. So they're not surprised that God does not heal everything, that you will never become sick or die. So they, they, this is not a surprise to us or to them. But um, let me just, I'm going to read this to you. This is part of a prayer training that we had done with some people who are, of, uh, who are offering prayer ministry to others. This is what we teach. We accept that God allows people to die and that he sets the time for birth and death and that sometimes the healing we pray for does not come until after death. Sometimes people suffer and die and we don't know why. But we continue to hold on to what we know to be true. God is good. 
He is all-powerful and full of compassion. So we don't know is the answer to the simple question of why. While faith plays an important role in the healing journey, we recognize that there are many reasons why a person may or may not be healed at any given time. Our faith lies in God's ability and God's desire to heal according to his will, not in the healing power of the prayer itself or in our ability to conjure up faith feelings. We bring a person before God with a great expectation of healing but also recognize there are many reasons why healing may not occur. We do not place blame on either the recipient or the prayer minister, the person praying. That's that's a tangent, but we read these passages, these wonderful promises of healing, and we we believe them, we claim them, we pray uh, with all expectation, understanding um, that this is all in God's hands. But the point, so that's the tangent's now over, back, the point here is that whatever the season, whether it's a season of sickness or of happiness or of trouble, we, um, we use our words to God and we take those words into the world. Second thing that we learn from James here is that words of worship are for all people. And it really must have been encouraging to receive this letter, the, the early Christians receiving this letter, and that everybody had a part in helping one another to live as Community. Earlier in the letter, uh, Paul talks about the dignity of the poor in these congregations. He also addresses the wealthy and said uh, that there were certain dangers and temptations that come along with wealth and that whether you're wealthy or you're poor, you're all part of this beautiful community together. You're all dependent on one another. And then we have this verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This type of prayer is not just for the elders or for the church leaders. It's for all of God's people to support one another as as you struggle and confess sin to one another. And that healing is flowing through that. So during our gathered times of worship, whether it's here on Sunday morning, whether it's in your small group, whether you gather with another Christian as as a one-on-one We rejoice with one another. We confess failure to one another. We use our words uh, to support one another. And as we use our words in those ways, we are living into a new kind of a community. We're creating new community and new connection with one another. And we bring that into our world. It's a different way of life. That's why this. we, we talk about small groups a lot. Say, hey, if you're not in a small group, you should get in a small group. Check out a new small group. We, we harp on that because we believe fully that we, we, as we meet as groups, we are learning new language to support one another. And that is a powerful, uh, that is training our hearts for when we are not gathered together. Particularly confession of sin, specifically in this verse. And just from experience, you, when you see people who are willing and open to confess their sin to one another, it is powerful spiritually for spiritual growth. Because our whole faith is based on the fact that we fail before God, that we fall short of God's standard, and that Jesus Christ comes and he dies on the cross in our place to take that punishment and the wrath that flows from our failure on himself, giving us new life, giving us forgiveness. And when we, when we understand that, we have rhythms of receiving that grace and, and embracing the truth of the gospel, it, it just helps us to grow tremendously. 
then we take that into the world, that language of this vocabulary of confessing sin. So when you, when you go about your day and you, you, know, you, you have a way of confessing, you can admit your faults to other people then. <clears throat> rather than getting defensive, rather than you know, blaming someone else, rather than just outright lying about something, you can say, yeah, I, I failed. We can be people of humility in a world that where arrogance and self-righteousness are prevalent, we can be people of humility. And we have language to speak that. In a world that is very short on grace, we can be people who then not only seek forgiveness, but can forgive others more freely. The more you understand, Jesus said, forgive as you've been forgiven. We can be people of forgiveness. And we have words, we have language that we cultivate for that. Thirdly, words of worship work. Words of worship work. See, God hears the worship of his people and it brings him glory. God hears the prayers of his people and he acts on them. God is active in this. So, and it's all about him. Our worship is for God. Our prayers are to God. Our thanksgiving is because of God. And then he acts. It's because he's acted and he continues to act. The words are powerful because God hears them and he acts on them uh, when we are together and when we are apart. Look at verse, the end of verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being just as, as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced crops the, the example that James uses is that of Elijah. And you can read, um, you can read about this account in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Basically, he's going before God about a situation that was happening in his nation, a very evil king and queen, uh, false worship. It was just, anyway, you can read that. But he, the, the, the point that James is making is he's just, he was God's prophet, but he was just a human being. He was frail and he was flawed just like you, just like me. And he prayed, and God acted, and it had very powerful results. Very remarkable kind of results. And God responds to prayer. Of course we believe that. You wouldn't pray to God if you didn't think God was active. And the, the prayer of a righteous person is effective not because of your righteousness, but because the righteous are those who are in tune with God's will and God's way. And prayer is tuning our hearts to his way and his will. And we pray, we pray according to his will and not our own. Therefore, when we pray, we use our words in expectation that God is at work in our world. So, for example, we pray when we pray together, as we did this morning, Many weeks we pray the Lord's Prayer. And the danger for us when we pray the same prayer over and over is that it just becomes words, that we become numb or we miss the radical implications of what we're praying. We all stood up today and we prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those aren't just empty words. That's not just some kind of hollow hope. It's a declaration that the world as I see it today 
I am not satisfied with the status quo of the world and that God is ushering in his kingdom and it's a new and it's a different thing and we pray that it would be. I pray, and, and then as we pray that, as we pray those words here, I pray that those words would shape us in such a way to go out there and expect it. To uh, declare that there, there is a different vision of what the world should be. You know, that does keep us from just despair or just some kind of vague hope that there's a goodness out there. And that is, we pray those words, we are calling God's reality into our everyday existence. So it's, it's, it's words like that that change our perspective. And that's the third. It's words of worship work because God is active. So the words we pray, the words we sing, the words of our worship give us a new perspective, new vocabulary, a new language that we bring into the world. Every season of the soul, for every one of us, with an expectation of God's work. And then it's very practical. It becomes very practical. For, I'll give you a quick little case study. And you just think about this. Let me give, I'll give you a couple cases. You have a family member, let's say, hypothetically, so this is not my family or your family specifically, but hypothetical family who has a family member who has a reputation for being unreliable. And one day, he forgets to pick you up at the commuter rail station. And another family member comes and picks you up on the, and on the ride home brings up the subject of this uh, family member's reliability or lack thereof. What are the words that you use and you pray and you sing that will now inform the words that you use in that conversation? Another example, you have, you're having coffee with a coworker. You share a boss, and the boss that you have is unpredictable and has a tendency to lash out when under stress, which seems to happen quite often. You and your coworker are usually on the receiving end of those outbursts. What are the words you then use that inform that conversation, that are shaping how you view that situation? Another hypothetical. You're waiting at the bus stop in the afternoon for the kids to get dropped off at the end of the school day. And your neighbor is there with you and she seems upset. And you ask her, what's up? Your neighbor says she's been watching testimony from the Supreme Court uh, confirmation hearings. And she admits that she has been a victim of sexual assault as a teenager and is upset by what she's heard. You weren't expecting your neighbor to disclose this trauma to you. You're just waiting at the bus stop. And you really don't want to say something wrong and you don't want to offend your neighbor. What words do you use then? Okay, so they're not easy. But we are a people who together will use words that help us to, uh, to praise God for who he is and to understand what his kingdom is doing that we might speak words of life to others. I commend to you this um, cultural moment event. Uh, we're referring to it as the power of we, as the title of the event. But at these events, this is what we're trying to do, is understand what, what is the dialogue of the world around us? What are, what are the cultural issues that we face? And how do we speak into them as Christians? 
what, are the, what is the language we use? Because we could just sit in fear of offending and just never say anything. Or we could speak offensive words and actually offend people. Or we can enter into this with faith and as a community and trying to understand that. How do we, how do we learn that? So that's, that, that's what we're trying to do in that. But our, our prayer is that the words that we use would shape the way that we interact with the world around us. Let us pray. Father, may the words we pray, may the songs that we sing be for us a new vocabulary, a new worldview that we take with us wherever we go, and may that be for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.